Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8. I want to welcome you this morning here. If you're at home, welcome on our live stream. Or if you're in our overflow, welcome. If you forgot your Bibles this morning, feel free to grab one. There's a hardbound book in the seat in front of where you're sitting. You're welcome to use that. If you don't have a Bible and you want to take it, you can have it. But Exodus chapter 8 is found on page 49 in that Bible. We're continuing this morning our sermon series through the book of Exodus. We're taking a verse-by-verse study, examining God's Word, being challenged. And the the thing that I love about preaching through books of the Bible is we get the, the whole counsel of God. We don't just pick and choose. We're seeing the big picture story. We're seeing themes that are found in the beginning of Exodus that are going to work through really to the end of the Exodus. And one of the themes that we've seen is the power and the majesty and the glory of the Lord. That's going to continue this morning as we kind of get in a little more heavily into the the plagues and how the Lord is demonstrating his power. Last week was the first plague. The Nile turns to blood. We're going to continue with that idea this morning. God has shown himself. He's demonstrated himself. Pharaoh still has not let the people of God go free. And so we pick up the story, Exodus chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. Mm -hmm. Frogs are cool individually, right, guys? Y'all like frogs? They're not cool in the plural. Verse 3, the Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed into the houses of your servants and your people, into your ovens and your kneading bowls. The frogs shall come up into your people and onto your people and onto your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. It's kind of silly. They just added more frogs to the problem here. Verse 8. Now some time has passed between 7 and 8. And Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, Be pleased to command me when I am to plead for this and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he, this is Pharaoh, said, Tomorrow, Moses said, Be it as you say, So you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. 
Verse 11, the frogs shall go away from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. Verse 12, so Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps. I love that phrase. <laughs> There's just heaps of dead frogs. And the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Here's the first thing we're going to see. is When this is the second plague, it's frogs. The second plague of frogs. Now Moses has been clear. The Lord has been clear. God is demonstrating his power. He's demonstrating his majesty. Now let's pull that chart up of the plagues again because I want you to see this. I want you to understand what's going on. Right? Plague number one, God says, listen, I'm going to turn the Nile River into blood. That's a problem for the people of Egypt because the, the Nile River was their lifeblood, right? It gave them transportation, gave them water to irrigate their crops, gave them food, food for fish. It was a real problem for them. When that happens, God wants the Pharaoh and Moses and Aaron want the Pharaoh to let the people go, but Pharaoh has refused. So God's going to kind of up the ante, so to speak. He's going to, so to speak, he's going to ratchet it up a little bit. Now we're going to bring frogs into the picture. God's going to say, listen, I'm going to send frogs, and not just a few frogs, but frogs are going to be <clears throat> everywhere from the Nile, from the streams, from the canals, from the wetlands. They're going to come into your house. They're going to come into your bedroom. They're going to come into your beds. They're going to come into your kitchen. They're going to come into your kneading bowls even. Everywhere you look, they're going to be frogs. Now remember, let's not lose sight of the big picture here. Like the big picture is that God is displaying his power. The big picture is that God is displaying his glory. He's displaying his majesty. And he wants the people of Egypt and especially the Pharaoh to understand, now watch, that he is in full control of all things. Now, if you're just to read through the 10 plagues or just to kind of hear the story of the 10 plagues, you would probably miss one of the key components that I'm trying to highlight for you through this process. One of the key things you need to understand is that the Lord is basically, when he's sending these plagues, attacking and really defeating very specific Egyptian gods and very specifically the Pharaoh. And so each of these plagues has a very specific meaning, a very specific reason. So when he sends these frogs, he's attacking Hakit. Now Hakit is a god in the Egyptians that looks like, you want to guess? A frog. Let's see the picture. Pull that picture up if you would. This is a picture of Hakit on the right. This is an Egyptian carving in an Egyptian temple. You see the picture of the frog face, the head, really the, the body of the frog. And I want to read to you what Hakit did because there's a connection here. I want you to hear it and understand it. And when you do that, I, I want you to see the majesty and the power and the glory of the Lord. Now, now track with me for a second here. Egyptian midwives often call themselves servants of Hakit, right? They serve the goddess of Hakit. 
And they would often wear these, these necklaces during childbirth, these midwives, that depicted this goddess. Here's what one writer said. The Egyptians believed that the frog was the symbol of life-giving power goddess Haken. She was the goddess who oversaw the women, the midwives who helped women have babies. She was thought to blow the breath of life into the nostrils of the new babies. Now, continue here. The Egyptians relied on Haket for two things in particular. One was to control the frog population by protecting the crocodiles. Remember, they would eat the frogs. Frogs, natural predators. Obviously, when Egypt was overrun with frogs, Haket was humiliated. This plague proved that she was powerless to resist the mighty strength of the Lord, her other responsibility was to assist women in childbirth. Now, there's a lot going on here, right? We got frogs, we got the Nile, we got childbirth, we got a plague, right? That's a lot of stuff. How can we kind of rein all that in and understand what the Lord's doing here? Well, let's rewind the story a little bit. Let's rewind the story from Exodus chapter 8 to Exodus chapter 1. You don't have to look it up, but I want you to listen. I want you to hear something. I want you to be reminded. Exodus chapter 1, verse 22, the Bible says, The Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile. You shall let every daughter live. Now remember, when the, when the Jewish people, the people of Israel grew in strength in the early part of Exodus, the Pharaoh was afraid. The Pharaoh was fearful that these people would grow in strength, would grow in number, that eventually they would turn on the Egyptians and kill them. So he enslaved the people of Israel and he told the midwives that when a child is born to the Israelite people, if it's a boy, you throw him into the river. So that's not good, right? So you're going to, perfect timing, perfect timing. I know he didn't mean to say that, Ginger, but it was perfect. Thank you for that, Lord. <laughs> when a baby is born to the Jewish people, if it's a male, you throw him into the river, right? So we're going to take the Nile, and we're going to use the Nile as an instrument of death. And this frog goddess who's supposed to guard and help with the midwives is going to be involved, right? So you've got this midwife, you've got the Nile, you've got the frogs. Here's how one writer kind of brings it into focus. It was a matter of strict justice, right? God was punishing the Egyptians for their sins. Listen now, the very river that Pharaoh used as an instrument of genocide was turned to blood. The first goddess to be hum humiliated was the one who governed labor and delivery. There was a connection between Pharaoh's crime and God's punishment. You see that? God shows them. He's control over the Nile, the instrument that Pharaoh used to kill these children. He's in control over the frogs and the frog goddess, the one who governed the midwives from the very beginning, right? We miss this, but the people of Egypt would have understood. Listen, Hakit is not in control. Pharaoh is not in control. There's something else at play here. The power and the majesty and the glory of the Lord is being played out, right? being demonstrated to these people. Now, something interesting happens. Moses kind of goes into Pharaoh, and, and Aaron goes into Pharaoh, and Pharaoh seems to change his mind. 
In fact, he says, I'm going to let him go. I'm going to let him go. But then verse 15, when the Pharaoh saw there was a respite, he hardened his heart, would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Now let's continue. Look at verse 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and he struck the dust of the earth. That's a lot of dust, by the way. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The, the magicians, watch, for the first time tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Number two, the third plague now are gnats. Now I want you to notice what's happening here. We're drawing this closer and closer to these individuals. The river of blood affects them. It's bad, but it's separate from them. The frogs now begin to enter more into their personal space, into their homes, into their beds, into their bedrooms, into their kitchens. Gnats now come to this place where they're literally, as the Bible says, on man and beast. They're pesky. They're landing physically on these people. We've gone from a river to the frogs that are around us to the gnats now that are on us. Now, when I first graduated college, I moved to Albany, Georgia for three years. And some of y'all know where I'm going for this, right? Where I'm going with this. How many of you have lived below the gnat line in Georgia? I'm just curious. Yep, a few of you. Is it real, by the way? Man, if you've ever lived below, the gnat line is, I don't know, Columbus, Macon, South. There's some sort of an invisible line that south of that, gnats reside and they live down there. And I'll never forget when I first moved to Albany. I think people that live down there kind of get used to it. But for the first several months, you're just, you know, you're kind of, you're doing this. And they, you know, I was down there teaching and coaching uh, and we were out doing football and they're just flying around your legs everywhere. They're around your face. They flop in your nose. They get in your eye and your mouth. It's not fun to live among gnats, right? They pester you to death. But I want you to watch. This is more than just pestering. Right? We look at it and we kind of laugh about it because we've experienced it. It's not a lot of fun. But imagine if all the dirt of all the country turned into gnats. Imagine if there were billions, I don't know how many, hundreds of millions of gnats everywhere flying, landing. It's very pesky and it's a problem. But here's what I want you to see and understand. This again is God demonstrating his power over the natural order of creation. He's bringing chaos now into order. He's showing these people that, listen, Pharaoh is no longer in control. The people of Egypt thought that Pharaoh controlled the climate, controlled the land, controlled the animals. Remember, he was a deity. He was a God. And so when the Lord kind of throws this chaos into this cosmic order, he's not only attacking the false gods of Egypt, he's attacking the very Pharaoh himself. Now, here's the question we need to ask ourselves, right? We should always figure out what can I learn from this? What can I draw from this? What can I apply to my lives? Like Egypt at this point, and it's going to get worse, is spiraling out of control. There's chaos, there's confusion, there are problems. The people of Egypt kind of held to and looked to the Pharaoh 
and their gods in the midst of chaos. Here's the question we ask ourselves. Where do we find order in the midst of our chaos? Because it seems like every time I talk to people now, when I ask people how they're doing, at some point in the first few moments of that conversation, I'm going to hear how busy they are. That's just the world we live in. How are you doing? Busy. Wide open. All things are going on with my family and this. And, and I get it. Listen, I'm living in that same thing too. And, and I can speak for my family, right? I worry. We're incredibly busy as well. I worry that we'll, my family, I worry that we'll look back at some point in the future and regret how busy we were. That's my fear. We get caught up in things that maybe don't matter, caught up in things that aren't really important. We, we, we sacrifice the, 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 the great for the good kind of idea. And I just worry about that. I worry about that as kind of a, a Western Christian in the world we live in. But sometimes it seems like the world is chaotic. And if we're not careful, we run to false gods for control as well, just like the people of Egypt did. I talked about this some last week. But it's worth discussing again. It's worth considering again. In the, in the midst of great chaos and busyness and craziness in the world, what's our foundation? What are we running to in this world to give us stability? Now, I know you probably already know this. I hope you do. If you're at home, maybe this is the first time you've heard this. But I'm going to give you truth that bears repeating. You know, one of the things I feel like I need to do from the pulpit is remind you of things the Scripture teaches. It's not that you've never heard it. It's just that you may not be living it. And so in the midst of chaos, we need to be reminded, listen, that true order comes only through Jesus Christ. And so in this world of chaos and busyness and false gods of whatever it might be that you're struggling with, the only place you're going to find true peace and joy and strength and order is through Christ. Colossians 1 beginning in verse 15, speaking of Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. Listen, and in him all things hold together. You know how you get on an airplane? We, we flew to Louisville last week and did the video from up there and went to a conference. Fantastic. We flew up and, and we were sitting, we were strategic in the seats that we bought. And we sat on an exit row. And you sit on an exit row because there's more room. But on the exit row, that means you've got responsibilities. And so they come to you and they say to you, listen, do you understand you're sitting on an exit row? Do you agree that if something happens to this plane, you're willing to assist people to open this door assist people out of the plane. They make you verbally say yes. They look at you, do you, do you, and you have to say yes, right? We know these things. I understand. I'm on, I bought the ticket. I know I'm on an exit row for a reason. I like the space. I know where I'm sitting, but I need to be reminded sometimes that when I'm sitting in the seat, there are things that are required of me. Sometimes we need to be reminded. We know that Jesus is the foundation, right? We know that he's order out of chaos. We know that he holds all things together, but are we living it? Are we truly living for Christ? So I want you to notice what happens with Pharaoh and with his magicians here. This is the first time they try to replicate this. They try to do this same trick, so to speak, and they're not able to do it. 
And so verse 18, pull up verse 18. I want you to see what happens here because they make this a statement of revelation. Like the light bulb is kind of slowly going off. Verse 18, the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Verse 19, then the magicians said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. There's this revelation, right? It's kind of like, you know, you, you watch that person sometimes when the light bulb's kind of going off and they, they make this recognition that they haven't before. They realize something they've never seen before. These magicians are kind of coming to this conclusion. Now, I want to be careful. They're not saying that they trust in this God. They're not saying this God is in control of all things. They're simply making this realization that, hey, you know what? Maybe we're not in control. Maybe Pharaoh's really not in control. Maybe there's something greater at play here. Maybe there is a God. Maybe there's something supernatural going on above the things that we can actually control. Here's the problem. These magicians weren't confessing faith in this God. They were simply acknowledging that he existed. It's the same problem we have today. There are lots and lots and lots of people that acknowledge the existence of a God, that acknowledge the existence of some sort of a creator, that acknowledge that some sort of a deity in heaven, but they've never quite understood that that God demands of them certain things. And in order to have salvation, they need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They miss those things. And so I always want to be very, very clear. This is one of those examples of I'm telling you something you probably already know, but you need to be reminded of it. If you've never prayed to receive Jesus Christ, if you've never repented of your sins and turned to Christ, you're not saved. You might know all about God, you might know he exists, you might even think about him and talk about him, but knowing him and seeing him are very different than having a personal relationship with him. Maybe you've even seen the finger of God at work in your life. Maybe you would point to certain things and go, man, that's the finger of God at work. I've seen him work in this situation. I've seen him work in that situation. In fact, he's even at work now, right? Maybe you've even seen the finger of God just like these magicians did, but you've never fully embraced Christ. You've never turned from your sins and repented and given your life to Jesus. I don't fall into the same trap as these magicians, simply understanding that there is a God without having a personal relationship with him. Now let's continue. Look at verse 20. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up, right? So Pharaoh still has refused. He's still not letting these people go. The Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water, right? Again, he's going out to worship. We've seen this and talked about this. And say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies, also the ground on which they stand. But on this day, I will set apart the land of Goshen. That's where the people of Israel lived. Where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I'm the Lord in the midst of the earth. Right? That's the whole point, the end of verse 22. The whole point is that the Lord is demonstrating himself to these people. Verse 23, thus I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. 
There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, throughout all the land of Egypt. The land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Verse 25, but Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. But Moses said, it would not be right to do so for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. And if we sacrifice offerings abominable to Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? We must go three days journey into the wilderness, sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. In other words, pray to the Lord for me. Verse 29, then Moses said, behold, I'm going out from you and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again, right? Moses is beginning to see the pattern here. Pharaoh's lying to us, he's lying to us. Let not Pharaoh cheat again by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord and the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. The fourth plague, flies. Now, one of the problems when, when these biblical uh, interpreters interpret the Old Testament text is the Hebrew has words that they're not quite sure what they mean. And so there's debate sometimes about what kind of fly we're talking about. Was it a house fly? Was it more than just a house fly? A lot of scholars say that it was the ichneumon fly, which was more like a wasp. And the way they explain it is this fly was aggressive and mean and would sting you. So we've gone from the blood of the river is kind of out there, but it greatly affects me, to the frogs that are now in my house, to the gnats that are now landing on me, flying in my face and my eyes, to the flies who are now biting me. Right? Can you see the pressure being mounted here? Can you see this getting worse? By the way, we're not even halfway through. They're going to get worse. God is demonstrating his power. He's demonstrating his majesty. Now listen, I need to finish that, but let me kind of give you the 30,000 foot view here. I don't want you to miss this. We're seeing the majesty and the glory and the power of the Lord, but here's the application for you. God's great judgment always comes against sinful people, right? The judgment of the Lord always comes against sinful people, right? We saw it in the great flood, Genesis chapter 9, we saw it Sodom and Gomorrah, Genesis 19. We see it through other parts of the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see it in the plagues of Egypt, right? One writer said this, the plagues reveal God's love of obedience and his repulsion for disobedience. Now listen, I don't want you to miss this. God is love, he's joy, he's hope, but he's also a judge. And we don't need to miss those two. Now, I want you to listen to what Romans 1 says. You don't have to look it up. Romans 1, beginning in verse 18. Listen to the words of God. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, foolish, and their hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This, in my opinion, is exactly the struggle we face today. So here's the good news. God is very clear. Sin must be judged. Sin must be punished. God is all-powerful and in control of all things. But here's the beautiful part. He loved us so much that in the midst of the sin that we live in, he sent a Savior to die in our place. So even these plagues in their grossness and their, their ugliness and the, the sin of the Egyptians revealed, even in the midst of these plagues, we're looking ahead and thinking about Jesus who will one day come and offer forgiveness for our sins. And so we're going to give you this opportunity here in just a second for a time of invitation. It's a chance for you to sing and pray. And of course, you can come here and pray, but I just want to encourage you. Listen, if you're that person who's heard this message, who's heard about Christ, who's heard about these plagues, and you say, listen, I've always known that God exists. I've even seen the finger of God. I understand that the wrath of God is real against sin, but I've never received that forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Let this be the moment. Let me share with you all that Christ can do for you. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we just thank you for your majesty and for your glory and your power. We thank you for the very clear picture of these things through these plagues. As you increase, Father, as you increase how difficult these are on the people, Father, your glory becomes more and more evident. Your power and majesty become more and more evident. Father, I pray that we would see this, that we would understand it, that right now we would run to Christ in the midst of our chaos in the midst of our confusion. Father, be with the people here in this service. Help them to sense you, to hear from you. If there's someone here that's never prayed to receive Jesus Christ, let this be the moment. Let this be the hour. Use us for the sake of your kingdom. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.